0: Welcome to the One Haas Alumni Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and today I'm joined by Keitha Pansy. She's currently the Managing Director at the Women of World Endowment, and she is a Haas alumni, full-time MBA, class of 2002. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Sean. Happy to be here.
0: I'd love to hear where you're from and where you grew up.
1: So I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, I have to say half of me is from Little Rock, Arkansas, and the other half of me is from southern Louisiana in a very, from a very small town off the Gulf of Mexico, and that would be the pansy half of me.
0: <laughs> and how long did you stay there for? Like you, you went to school all the way through in Little Rock?
1: Yeah, spent my entire life in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's where my mother grew up. Wonderful story about my parents. Cause they actually met on a blind date when my father was deployed from Vietnam and he was stationed in Arkansas Yeah, and they met through mutual friends. And uh, my mother refused to move to the country, which is in the Bayou where my dad is from. And so they landed in, she thought Little Rock was the big city, which where he is from, Little Rock is a big city. Yeah. So I grew up there. The selection of my academia has always been strategic. So I purposefully went to Little Rock Central High School, which is the first school to be desegregated in the South. So I I feel like I've been riding on shoulders. Hmm. I am a legacy and product of Little Rock Central 9. I'm a legacy and product and stand on the shoulders of everyone before me from Howard University. And I'm a legacy and product of the shoulders of everyone who traced the halls of Haas School of Business, prior to me.
0: That's amazing. Uh, What did you study at Howard?
1: Accounting, if you can believe it. (laughs) (laughs) You? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when people meet me, they're like, you were, and I went into public accounting. But once again, it was, oh, who was it? Whoever, I don't know if it was Kaplan or whatever, but I went into Howard and I was like, I'm gonna be a marketing major for whatever reason, I don't know why. And I always had, I was going to like just get my undergrad degree in business Mm -hmm. and then carry that on to be like an SEC attorney.
0: Mm. Wow. I don't know where I got that That's very specific.
1: In in, in Little Rock. But yeah, I wanted to be a SEC attorney. And my first semester there, I tried marketing. I was like, just don't think I'm, there's just not enough meat there for me. Mm. (laughs) And so I loved my accounting one class. And then I linked up like after that first year with a Kaplan person, and then I became their student advisor for the campus. So then me taking and studying for the CPA exam was all free. Wow. So I was like, this is a win-win. But I loved accounting. I loved taxation, had really good professors there. Dr. Hill is my favorite. Glenda Glover, who is now the president of Tennessee State University, as well as the president of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. She got me my first job because I went to school during the school year through the summer. And she was my accounting professor back then before she was a university president. And she's like, you need a job. (laughs) You don't have a resume. Like there's nothing on your resume but school. And she helped me get my first job doing internal audits with the AARP, the American Association of Retired Persons in Washington, D.C. And actually, that that was my first, I would say, air quotes. I won't say real job because I actually did work freshman year. I forget. My dad got me my first job. And so freshman year, I worked on Capitol Hill for a year for my junior and senior senators. Okay. And that was a great time because that is when now I'm really about to age myself, Bill Clinton was elected as president. So it was yeah. good to be in Arkansas and be in Washington, <laughs> D.C. So I worked for my senators and I was like, I'm going to be a lobbyist. I'm going to be an attorney. I'll be an attorney, an SEC attorney. Then I'm going to be a lobbyist because I spent so much time with lobbyists while I was on the Hill working for my senators. Yeah, it was good. It was a good experience. I would do undergrad all over again.
0: Yeah. That's good. At
1: Howard University.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) What brought you to Haas?
1: Haas is interesting. I I didn't know much about California. Yeah. And I had applied through the consortium. There's the consortium that works to get people of color into MBA programs. And you get a scholarship with that. And so I filled out that application. And actually, UNC was my first choice. Yeah. Listen, I was still young, <laughs> and I picked, I picked UNC, I was like, ah, I love Michael Jordan, it'd be cool to go back.
0: We're like, hey, Keenan Flagler's go. a good school.
1: <laughs> and so I picked them as my first choice, and it was also it was a way for me to pivot closer to home, because yeah. I knew eventually I would going to move back to the south, right. right? Not ready to go back to the deep south, so North Carolina is a safe bet. <laughs> And my scholarship went to UNC. I went to visit Keenan Flagler, and I was like, "It's not a good fit." Yeah. So for me, my intuition taps in, and I know where I'm going to fit in. Right. And I had met with people from the admissions team during, like, you know, we go to these GMAC conferences and things of that nature. You're learning the schools; they're getting to know you. And it was a Haas weekend, and I said, "I'm going to go on out." And I remember. When I stepped foot on the campus, it just felt right. Mm. And everyone that I met, I was like, I'm finding my tribe. It's just that easy for me. I had paired up with a first year who took me up into the Berkeley Hills. Mm -hmm. And there was this beautiful view and it's so vibrant in my mind still to this day. And at some point in the hills, right above the school, you can see the bay
2: mm-hmm. and you
1: can see the mountains yeah. and it was raining and it was foggy. And that was so beautiful to me. And I was like, this is my home. It just felt right. So after meeting with the admissions staff, getting to know them and then meeting with the Haas ambassadors and being paired up with some first and second years, I was like, this is my tribe. Yeah. And so then it's okay. I'm going no to UNC, so no to that scholarship. Let's rework it so I can come to Berkeley. Yeah. And I like the fact that when I think about my academic career, there are two things. I was like, I went to Howard, I went to Haas. Where are there similarities? And as I reflected, like these are both universities that stand for something, they are both activists. Yeah. Both schools test the status quo. Yeah. And so similar to why I went to Howard, same situation with Berkeley. Both are very liberal in their thoughts, but also first on so many different levels and which cost felt right. And it proved to serve me very well.
0: So my next question naturally is why the MBA?
1: That's an easy one. Oh, so as a public accountant, <laughs> I probably worked on one or two IPOs, hmm. maybe a little bit more, but there was one at the end. It was a tech company based in Maryland. And I was spending so much time with the investment bankers who were, of course, digging into the company's financial statements that I had audited and spent several quarters with. And I, I want to know what they're doing. Yeah. And then I just, I really just started to get to know the bankers on the other side of the table who were all men. And I need to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, where are these models and where are my numbers going? Yeah. Because I feel like I'm feeding you all of my intelligence. And so they started to share their career with me. And it was an introduction for me, like a deeper dive into finance right? and how the markets work. And I learned that from my investment banking partners on that deal. And we were so closely attached. That was like, there is more for me to learn. So as we speak about my journey, you will see every time I pivot, it's because I want to learn more. Yeah. Because, okay, they're taking the knowledge that I have or what I've done within these financial statements and put it into a model. What is that model? What are you doing with this? And how are we taking this company public? Yeah. So that was just my introduction into public finance. And that was the catalyst for me going to get my MBA.
0: Yeah. I feel like we're very similar
1: similar. (laughs) it's (laughs) what are they doing
0: i feel like i'm like your shadow about 15 years later because i see that you did investment banking as an internship during your mba at jp morgan and i did the same thing (laughs) And it looks like you didn't stay in investment banking, which I also didn't.
1: (laughs) I I, I got the learning I
0: wanted out of it.
1: I got the learning I wanted. And that was summer of 2001. It was not a good time in the Bay Area, not for the markets. I was glad that I was going back to school. There were a lot of people around me getting let go. It was a hard time. That was a tough summer. And I was just like, oh my, thank God. Yeah, I have one more year in business school. I'll figure this out.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit more about BlackRock. You have, you have very big names on your resume. You have <laughs> PWC, JP Morgan, and, and then Seek Group, and then BlackRock. What was your transition okay. and pivots after Haas? I'd love to hear about that.
1: So many pivots. <laughs> so let's go back to me and in my investment banking Internship, because I just knew I'm going to business school. I'm going to be an investment banker. I don't care what anybody says, because I've already got the foundation of this from public accounting, Exactly. some IPOs. Yeah, let's just put like a bow yeah. on it and make it pretty. Well, I interviewed with every investment bank on the street: Goldman. I was already at J.P. Morgan, Deutsche Bank, UBS, City. You name it, and everyone was like you're a better fit for a private bank. Yeah. I would throw like internal temper tantrums and I'm like, they don't know what they're talking about. But my first female mentor, her name is Lee Wasson and she worked in the private bank at J.P. Morgan. And so I'm telling her what's happening with me. She's like, you are a better fit for a private bank because of my personality and how I would relate to individuals and because I trusted her and she was my guidance. I was like there's got to be something to this Mm -hmm. because I'm meeting with all the different banks and everyone's shifting my resume to the private bank. Yeah. So that's how I went on with the private bank and wasn't there for long. I was there for three years functioning as a senior banker. It was great experience because my first year, I actually did a rotation through all of the groups. Early mornings, I sat on the desk with the portfolio managers, But then I'd split my time with the lending person or the credit team. And we were in San Francisco, so our team was small. There may have been 25 of us back then. And then I spent time with a trust and estate attorney. And then in between, it was me being a banker. It was a hustle those three years, or at least definitely the first year, because I did a rotation with every, like I would say service provider for an ultra high net worth client. So holistically, I could bring to the table the totality of the platform. So that was really good experience but then after three years it was like huh we don't need you two associates anymore and me and the there was only two of us who came out of an mba program in that office of three associates at that time and my role was considered no longer necessary that hurt me Mm. i was like wait a minute And I won't say the other person's name, but he too. And he actually had more experience than me before he went to business school. And I remember coming back to my desk and he's just like, let's go talk. And we both had the same conversation with the head of the office at that point in time. You're like, oh, my God, is this really happening to us? And we just got out of business school three years ago, three and a half years. And it was. So here's the start of having very thick skin right? This is the real world. You're an adult. You're not, not an undergrad anymore. Can't call your parents. Then they can do, figure it out, Keitha. So then I just got my hustle back on. In my mind, I was like, I'm leaving California. I'm too far away from my family. I'm too far away from the core of my friend group, which of course came from Howard University. I'm going back East. So my job offer for JP Morgan was in New York, packed up, moved here, did three month or so associate training. And then they had an aha moment. Like we need an associate in the San Francisco office. And you're the only person of the 80 in the program who went to a school in
0: the West Coast, California.
1: So we need you to go back. So that's how I landed back in the Bay Area.
0: I see, I see.
1: For another 14 years, but (laughs) it was all purposeful because I'm looking to go back. And I remember I had an offer with Merrill Lynch in Washington, D.C., and I didn't take it. And it was with their private, I don't know if they called it a private bank, but their model was just different from J.P. Morgan's. Mm-hmm. And I landed with this very small Delaware-based financial consulting firm, mm. but I had not worked for six months. Yeah. And I said, you know what, I want to take it. And they hired me to step in and audit Over 200 commingled trust funds. What's that? I don't know. (laughs) For the former Barclays Global Investors. I see. Now, had I heard of BGI? Absolutely, because I live in the Bay Area. And so BGI is huge. BGI is a global asset manager. Of course, I've heard of them. So I was like, oh, this will be cool. I'll learn asset management because I'm like coming from the sales side. So when I was in J.P. Morgan Private Bank, it was corporate finance. It was still part of like, investment bank, private bank. It wasn't part of the asset management vertical. And so I went in and I audited. We had a team, commingled trust funds, had no idea what that even was. Learned pretty quickly. And at the end of the audit, BGI needed someone to come in and create a governance structure and like processes and procedures around launching new investment products and new investment strategies. And since I was already there, I was already working with BGI, auditing the commingled trust funds. It made sense.
0: This is with, sorry, this so is with said, Bar- you said Barclays? BGI, uh,
1: Barclays Global Investors. So Barclays Global Investors, which no longer exists, because yeah. we merged with BlackRock in 2009, was the asset management arm of Barclays Bank. I see, I see. I see. And if you recall, All the regulations that were happening, like in 2008 and 2009, uh, within the banking system, we ended up, the asset management arm merged with BlackRock in 2009.
0: I mean, so so you got merged into the largest asset manager (laughs) in the world.
1: BGI was the largest asset manager in the world.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Because we were the index provider. You talk about iShares, index, indexing, that comes out of BGI. I see. Yeah. Well, so, you are teaching um, me a lot
0: of new things today about finance that I didn't know.
1: <laughs> so it was BGI that was the largest asset manager. That was my entryway into asset management. Little did I know. I was just along for the ride. But I was learning so much and I loved my job at the end of the night, as a consultant, I was like, here you go. Once again, it's a package with a bow on it. Mm. And the person who I was working with to create what was then called the new product office, he was like, hey, I've only hired one other person and I need another person. In the process, you've been building it out. Why don't you come on and work with me full time? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) of course I will. And that was my next eight or so years. Yeah with the firm and I loved it. I learned everything you want to know about product development, different investment vehicles, indexing. I was able to work around the globe and around the sun, agnostic to where the client existed in the world. If they were investing or creating, if the portfolio was going to be managed in Americas and it was fixed income or index equity, it came to me. Hmm. And so I got to see the entire ecosystem and I'm going to pivot to, you know, of BlackRock because I was only, uh, let's see, three years or so with BGI and then we merged. And so I covered for eight years index equity strategy, new strategies and new fixed income strategies. I see. And loved it. Those that was, that was are good days.
0: <laughs> how, how do they get you back in New York?
1: Oh, so here Keitha goes twiddling up the fingers. Hmm. What's next? What more can I learn? Yeah. And I had been chatting with yet another mentor. Gosh, I've been so, I've been very fortunate. I've just crossed paths with stellar individuals who have guided me and continue to guide me professionally and personally. So at some point, the relationship pivots yeah. when it is an authentic mentor or mentee relationship. But I don't even think of them as mentors because I also think mentors can be peer-to-peer. Mm-hmm. It could be someone less experienced than me. So I got to give them a new name. They're all part of the keitha crew, a crew with a K-R-E-W-E. Yeah. So one of my BlackRock mentors who had already shifted from San Francisco to New York, I'd been speaking to him for a few years, like what's next, time for me to move. I could be sitting here launching fixed income products for the rest of my life, and then what? And I saw him roaming the floor one day in San Francisco, and I was like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" He's like, "Oh, I'm looking for you. Come up to my office." I was like, "Okay, cool." And I was offered two opportunities on his team, and the one I took was a, a new group where I would have the opportunity to continue to build out products, but for our defined contribution team. I see. Or which is 401k assets, are which is really profit sharing. So I went to work for the defined contribution team on a group where I would do some ad hoc projects for him, as well as continue building out like a pipeline of products that would specifically be meant for our DC clients. Right. And I could have stayed in San Francisco and there was no bud because I was actually looking to pivot to New York hmm. because we were headquartered here I just wanted to have the, that experience. And part of it might have been a little bit selfish because I thought I was supposed to be there 14 years ago <laughs> <laughs> with J.P. Morgan. Yeah. So that's how I finally landed in New York. It's very roundabout way of wow. coming back to the city. But it made sense because BlackRock is headquartered here. And so I was only in that role for maybe 18 months. And then I got tapped to be chief of staff for the then global head of the institutional client business. And it was in that season where I started to noodle on, there's got to be more to my life. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say this happens for everyone, but I do believe those who know that they are called for a purpose Uh while they exist here on earth. We're not meant to just be consumers. We are called to do something greater. And I do believe in God. And I just kept feeling, there's something on the inside of me, Sean, it's just like, what are you doing with your life? My mom started saying it was a midlife crisis, right? You're going through a midlife crisis. You need to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm not going through a midlife crisis. I just know I there's more. I want to wake up knowing that I'm having impact. I want to wake up knowing that what I do every day matters. Absolutely, the assets that BlackRock manages is important. I think to me, it was more so about, I wanna know who I'm impacting directly. And I knew, it's fair to say, I looked at some non-for-profits and I didn't think I was a non-for-profit type of person, but now where I've landed, it's actually a (laughs) 501c3. I was being directed towards, oh, we could go work in the D&I group, the diversity and inclusion group within HR. And I was like, but I don't know anything about HR. Yeah. And I don't, that just didn't sit well with me. It wasn't jiving with my soul. I was like, I could learn HR. Like I learned everything else, but I'm just like, no, 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 that, that hasn't been my background. And I don't right. want to do that group of disservice. And also just because I'm black doesn't mean I have to sit in a DE&I role because DE&I should be for all people. Right. If We're going to get it right. So. In order to be more reflective in 2018, I just traveled. I need to sit, be with myself, and just enjoy life for a moment. And I'll be honest, my last year with the firm, it wasn't my happiest. But what's one year to like 10 years of joy Mm. and walking away with great experience, but more importantly, the people that I've met along this journey, Mm. JP Morgan and BlackRock, And the Siegfried Group, we've all, a lot of people have transitioned and moved on to other entities, other organizations, or maybe doing their own thing or maybe taking time off. And it's the relationships that have mattered to me the most. And they outlive any tenureship at an organization.
0: I have to ask, where did you go for a year?
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. I had a friend turning 50 And so we were spending a little bit over a week in Bali because that's his favorite place. And he Uh used to live there. But me and another girlfriend decided to tack on Dubai and Abu Dhabi. We went to Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and then met everyone in Bali. So that was trip one. What is this, Um,
0: Sex in the City number two?
1: (laughs) I wish. Uh, So it was a good time because I'd never been to the Middle East. Yeah and it was just a good cultural experience we went roaming in some areas we probably should have never been walking in in dubai but we're like we don't care you're too like african-american we're, like, yeah. we're going to find this store so we can get some authentic clothing it was great it was a wonderful experience so that was trip one i did do some stateside trips i always make my way back out to california for a week so i'll do the bay area wine country, and then head to LA. Went to Paris, France. It's one of my favorite cities. Uh, went to Sicily. yeah. And from Sicily, me and three girlfriends. Island hopped in the Aeolian Sea for a week. That was like pure joy. And then after that, I went to Portugal, to, to Lisbon, to visit my very first Haas friend, who we are still friends to this day, but she's the first person I met at Haas, and we just happened to both be from Little Rock, Arkansas, and we both happened to go to the same high school, what are the chances? Yeah. What are the odds? Yeah. So I spent some time with her in Lisbon, which I feel like I ate my way through Mm. Lisboa. It's so good. Food was Mm -hmm. so good. Yeah. And then, and I did a lot of walking in that city. Mm. I loved it because she was actually getting her second master's. So during the day, I was by myself. And I just explored. I went to Alabama for the first time in my life. But my best friend was getting married. And I was like, if I'm in Birmingham, I'm going to go see all of the historical sites, everything related to civil rights movement, and then made a trip down to Montgomery to see the new museums there. I finally made my, my way to Amsterdam and then spent some time. I wanted to spend some time in the original Harlem and the original Brooklyn. So I wanted to make it to the original Brooklyn, but I didn't but I did make it to Harlem. And so that was a fun trip. That was fun. And that was a lot of exploring by myself. So that was 2018. But in that 2018, it, it gave me time to just be still and experience life for a moment and reflect. And by that fall, I was like, okay, how can I harness and leverage my experiences within financial services for good? Right. That's all I knew and you start to connect the dots and people start to connect the dots for you. Right. So at the end of that year, I met a woman, Patricia Lizaraga, who had come from investment banking. She is the founder of Hypatia Capital and her parents met at UC Berkeley. Go figure. (laughs) Everything happens for a reason, but she didn't go to UC Berkeley. I met her and she had left her job as a managing director in an, I can't remember which organization, but had launched her own entity in hopes to focus on women in leadership. And so here's my entryway into impact, into the gender space and what that means. And we had just landed our first deal. So I was hired to do investor relations, hmm. fundraising for that deal. That position didn't last long. This is also introduction to gender lens investing and it's an introduction to startup. Because we were a small team and primary function there was fundraising. So you're doing research on individuals, seeing where does their investment thesis align with gender? And if it doesn't, why not? Hmm. But I loved also being back in front of investors, which I had not done since J.P. Morgan days. Yeah. And just thinking through what are the options and opportunities for accredited individuals around gender to, to invest in women and what that meant. The deal fell through. So then there was nothing for me to fundraise for. Yeah. And here is really what kicked off, okay, I'm on to something here. Yeah. And, and what does that look like? What does it, impact investing mean? And so I just started sharing what I'm interested in doing with people from across my journey. People I've met at Howard University to all the mentors along the way. And one by one, it's okay, I know someone, you need to go speak to them. Okay, wait, I know someone over here, you need to go meet with them. Also in that year, uh, I took some classes around corporate social responsibility, met some people in that class, took another class around financial inclusion. So it's always, if I don't know it, I'm going to go and learn it. But from those classes, people started just connecting the dots for me to other individuals or institutions in this impact space. Yeah. It was not an easy journey, but it was also purposeful. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: Wow. Okay. That makes that does make sense. And journey
1: of discovery.
0: What is Huawei?
1: Wow Wei. We are a unique endowment, I like to say, because most endowments are attached to a university right, or an entity that will feed into their corpus. Right. We are not. So we are a standalone endowment, but we are 100% focused on gender lens investing at the intersectionality of environmental and social issues that challenge women of today. Our thesis is on women as actors, and deploying capital to where women can drive solutions, sustainable solutions, scalable solutions, innovative solutions around the issues that impact us when it might come to healthcare or the care economy itself, which has been heightened since COVID, to racial justice, social justice. Yeah. So we look at gender as an overlay. When you think about the UN's sustainable development goals. There's a gender play in each of them. That's our thesis and that's who we are. And what attracted me to Huawei was just that, Mm. as well as the founder and CEO of Patience Miriam Ball, who has over a decade of gender lens investing, primarily through the IFC or the World Bank. And she is an absolute expert and thought leader in this space. So as I look at opportunities and where I wanted to land, part mission, but also who am I going to be working with every day when I wake up and say, this, is, <laughs> this feels good. Yeah. Who is that person? And it was patience. And I was just like, my interview with her went on. I think I, she interviewed me for about two, two and a half hours on a Friday afternoon. Wow. And I was just like, oh my God, I hope I'm not tired, I hope I'm showing up in excellence. (laughs) And it all, Sean, when I tell you, it all just fell into place because I had heard about patients early on, let's say May of last year through another Haas alum and through an organization called Tonic, which Tonic is a membership-based organization focused on taking individuals through the impact journey. Mm. So you can be like pretty far along or you can be stepping into your impact journey, but they're going to give you the ecosystem to do just that so you can refine like what impact means for you. Right. And so that's where I initially heard about patients. Hmm. So it's full circle months later. It was the head of investments at Tonic who knew about the opportunity with Huawei and said, I have someone for you. And it was, and there you go. Yeah. And so I started at The top of the year, there's a lot to learn, right? It's different. When you're talking about impact investing, it's very different than I would say just your normal stocks and bonds. Mm, Very different than me creating a product that's okay, what are we benchmarking it to? What instruments do we need to trade to make this happen? Yeah. It's different. You know, when I say we're different, we are raising assets, we have a very audacious vision that I do think is viable and one that's needed. And we've aligned it with the UN goals. Like we want to raise 5 billion by 2030, hundred percent, hundred percent invested in women. That will be product development in the public market side, as well as co-investments in the private markets side to on grants. We think of it as a triple impact. You donate into, our corpus will be able to provide not only market rate risk adjusted returns, but also impact returns. And then the third piece is we will then take a portion of those returns and on grant them into organizations that are also creating scalable solutions around women or tools that allow us to invest in women.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, That's amazing, Etha. I am hoping if you have the bandwidth to work together and co-host some interviews for our Already done. You know, Women's History Month. This is this has been really enjoyable, just hearing your story. This is what we love to get. Because the last thing I want to do is have this Q&A. We're just like, all right, Keitha, where'd you go to high school? All right, what'd you do in college? All right, what'd you do? <laughs> just tell your story, right? Just, I must, this is your mic. I might. think
1: by nature, remember I was telling you about the pansy jeans? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There you
2: go.
1: <laughs> I do feel... Like this is full circle, and what I'm supposed to be doing with the second half of my life. Yeah. But like the first half of my life was a setup. It was the the training ground. Yeah. For my purpose-driven life. Yeah. And it can happen within the world of capital market, within the world of financial services. And I've known that. I'm excited to be introduced to the ecosystem of players Mm -hmm. in this space, because it's very different than what I would see if I was at like a big Wall Street bank. Yeah. You're about to say something.
0: No, I was going to say, I I actually have a lot of questions that I'm going to reserve to to keep you coming back around, especially as a woman in finance. I'm really curious to hear some stories there, but we're going to reserve that, listeners, for Women's History Month. (laughs) <laughs> as we'll have those conversations then but really last thing sometimes if I see a bookcase behind someone I have mm. to ask them for a book recommendation
1: okay I will give you the one that I actually I don't know if you've heard of the Forte Foundation which amazing organization focused on getting more women into business programs the president just put out a list I'll send you the link actually All right. of like here's what top black female leaders or something of that nature are reading and so I'm reading the Color of Money,
0: Interesting. Black
1: Banks, and the Racial Wealth Gap, Yeah. which was something of interest to me. I like to sh- share with people before COVID hit, just about the racial wealth gap. And this focuses on black banks. There is another book, The Color of Law. It's about the housing market. I see. The intersectionality and how all of this plays out. That is what is of interest to me. So that is the yeah. book that I am reading right now, along with a myriad of others.
0: Color of Law. A forgotten yeah, history of hard is my two a, books. there. There's a book, since we're along this line, that I, I really enjoyed last year called "The Soul of Money." Mm. I've heard that book, but it's it was a very it was a very eye opening book. It goes into the core tenant, in my opinion, was around you know the soul of money isn't for the sake of just buying things, but it's what are you doing with it? Mm-hmm. How are you how are you making an impact with it? And yeah. I thought it's a really great book. The soul.
1: I will pick it up. <laughs>
0: Alrighty, Keitha, <laughs> this has been such a pleasure. We're going to hear your voice again soon. So we're not parting ways. But thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: Thanks for having me, Sean. It has been my pleasure.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears!